Welcome to the Strata Leadership Show. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Miller, and today is our first podcast, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Normally, we're going to have guests on the show, but today I wanted to take some time to just talk to you about um, who I am, about my family, about the things that are important to me. This show is something that um, means a lot to me because what I am hoping to do is to create a place where we can um, bring leaders together to share their stories. What I'm looking for specifically is to bring people into this podcast that uh, have a story that um, might be similar to one that uh, is is your story. And, And the reason I I wanted to be able to do this is because I work as an executive coach. I uh, get to talk to people a lot. I get to spend time with them as they are wrestling with who they are, how they want to lead, the challenges they're up against. I get to celebrate with them when things are going well, when the the hard work that they are doing uh, ends up being something that translates into success. But being able to work with people on a daily basis like that, to be able to hear their stories, I I feel like I'm uniquely positioned. I feel like I'm very fortunate to be able to hear something that most people don't get to hear. I get to hear people's stories almost every day. And I get to talk to them about the things that they are really passionate about, the things that are frustrating to them, the things that they are, are hopeful about. And so I thought perhaps with a podcast, we could create a, a platform and, and a place where we could have conversations like that that other people could listen in on. And, and really what I'm wanting to do is to have a conversation almost as if there really isn't someone listening in, but that there are just um, two or maybe sometimes more people talking about what they're Uh, most interested in, what they're most passionate about. And so I'm hoping that you will want to be a part of this. I'm hoping that you will be a part of a community because at the core, what I'm wanting to do is to create a a place where people can bring their stories, where they can check in on on a podcast that is is meant to be authentic and, and positive, but it's really designed for people who are in learning mode. And I find as a leader, the the most compelling way to learn about leadership is to spend time with leaders. And I think about that quite a bit. I don't know if you've ever seen the show with Jerry Seinfeld and he's hanging out with comedians and they're getting coffee in cars and it's a show on Netflix. And what I find compelling about that story, or excuse me, about that show, is that Jerry is spending time with comedians because he feels most at home with them. And and there's a lot of the show where he's just talking about that. He's talking about wanting to spend time with other comedians because they understand each other. There's a, there's a distinctness about their lives that there's a unspoken connection between comedians that they get each other. They don't have to translate everything. And I feel that way about leaders. I feel that way about people who are, willing to step into that role. I feel comfortable with leaders. I I feel like those are the the people that I connect with most easily. And that's not to say that I don't value other people greatly, 
But I find that working with leaders is what motivates me, what energizes me. Because when I'm talking to leaders, I feel like I understand where they're coming from. And I have a great deal of appreciation for the hardships they choose to take, the hardships that they choose to um, engage in because they see an opportunity to make a difference. And so this show really is designed for leaders, the guests that I'm uh, that I'll have on the show are, are people who are, are making a difference, that uh, are, are working in, in organizations large and small who uh, really uh, care, that, that, that are really trying to make uh, an impact in the world as a leader. And so I'm hoping to bring people like that to a place like this where we can just have some time together, talking about their lives, talking about their stories. And I hope this is something that will be helpful to you. I, I find that um, it's hard to find stories that are uh, authentic and unguarded, where people can really just talk about uh, who they are and uh, what they really want to see done in life, where they're not posturing, where, where they can just uh, talk. And so that's what this show is going to be about. And this podcast is designed to create a place where we can learn from other people. And so um, when, you, when you come to this podcast, I'm asking that you have a growth mindset that you are in learning mode, that you can engage, that you're, you're uh, able to uh, just listen to where someone's coming from. In, in coaching, a big part of what coaches do is that they listen to understand. And I can listen to someone and, and not necessarily agree with them. I can listen to them and wish they would go a different direction. I, I can listen to them and be excited about what they're wanting to do. But at the core, my, my real goal is to listen to understand them. Because if I don't understand where they are, then I, I will have a hard time really engaging them to talk with them about where they want to go. And so I'm hoping that you will take on the same uh, approach that I have when I'm listening to people. And, and I, I, I'm going to be listening a lot in these um, podcasts and in these interviews because, again, when you listen to understand, it changes how you listen. I'm not listening to respond. Uh, I'm not listening to defend. I'm, I'm listening to understand. So when we come to this podcast and you're part of this community, that's the, the, the posture that I would uh, ask of you, that you are open, that you are uh, listening to understand, and that you're trying to connect. And so... My name is Nathan. My last name is Miller. It's uh, spelled a little bit oddly. The last, my last name is M-E-L-L-O-R, Nathan Miller. Our family moved to what would become um, America as we know it today uh, from England, and we had the last name Miller. Most of the people in our family changed it to Miller, but uh, there were a few holdouts, and we are among those. Our family arrived in Baltimore, made their way up to Fort Pitt, and then eventually began their way south down the Ohio River on their way to Kentucky, where they had purchased 1,100 acres of land in Kentucky. And they got to a small fort that had just been established there in Marietta, Ohio. And when they got there, it was already beginning to turn cold, and they uh, found people that they um, felt at home with, and so they stayed. And if you stayed there at that time, uh, you, you could get 100 acres of land if you could defend it for five years. And so they did. And so they 
built their lives there in Marietta and, and then outside Marietta in a, a small area called Watertown. And uh, that's where it all started for our family. And I don't even know that I'm saying Watertown right. It might be Waterton. But um, I am thankful for the dedication that they had because they, many of the people were, my ancestors were very old when they made the, the trip over to a, a new opportunity. And from that, um, that's where our family began. And, and all of the people uh, on the paternal side of our family, of my family, are uh, buried within 20 miles of each other there in uh, Marietta until my, my father moved away uh, after finishing high school there in Marietta in 1966. Uh, he moved away to go to college. Uh, he was, uh, I would assume, the, the first person to have gone to college, and definitely the first to have completed college uh, in our family's uh, history, and then uh, got married, and uh, you know, life happened, and he never moved back. And, and when I talked to him, he, he said, you know, it's surprising to me that we never moved back, because he always thought he would. And so I go back to Marietta from time to time, now all of our people are gone, but uh, whenever I get a chance to go that way, I, I do. But I was actually born in Indiana, in Vincennes, Indiana. My parents had just moved there not too long after college, where my dad was uh, an, an, an assistant director at a YMCA, an aquatic director at YMCA. Um, he, he worked at the Y, and my, my mom worked at a... Um, place just down the, the road from there where uh, she worked with people who had developmental challenges and they started life there in uh, Vincennes, Indiana. And we lived there for a time. My brother was born there in 1971. I was born there in 1973. And then when I was a toddler, we actually moved back to Marietta for a very short time, for, for a year or so, for dad to get some additional schooling. Then we moved back to Vincennes. And Dad had always thought he would be a coach. He would work at the Y and do that kind of work. And then um, he, he uh, felt called into ministry and worked as a, a preacher. Um, then he would also um, do other jobs. Later, he'd be, um, he, he would transition back into um, coaching as a high school football coach, track coach, basketball, different things like that. I was a teacher and then would always be involved in ministry at some level. My mother was a great example of uh, leadership. They both were, both, both very dedicated to helping other people have better lives. And I'm very thankful. But back, uh, we moved to Marietta for a short time, then back to Vincennes. And then the summer, just before the third grade, we moved from Indiana all the way down south to Spanish Fort, Alabama, which is located on the eastern shore of the Mobile Bay. And we had a, a little cinder block home there uh, on the causeway, which connected um, Spanish Fort to Mobile. We lived on the causeway for a time, and then uh, we were eventually able to uh, get a house in, in Daphne, Alabama, which is just a few miles south. And it was a great place to, to grow up. It was a, a beautiful area with um, amazing uh, trees. And uh, the bay was a great place to grow up. We could go down to the bay. And my mom had a deal with me and my brother. My brother's two years older than I am. And we would go down to the bay and we would um, fish using nets. Um, 
and she would say, you know, whatever you guys catch, uh, I'll cook. And she's a great cook. And that was a great place to grow up. And so we would go down to the bay and we would catch shrimp and crab and flounder and all the different things and, and bring them back and we would have uh, great meals. And then on the eastern shore of the Mobile Bay, they have something that's a bit unusual. It's uh, called, the, uh, called a jubilee. And if you have ever seen it, you'll, you'll never forget it. But uh, when there's a jubilee, what happens is that the brackish water in the Mobile Bay, which is that freshwater, saltwater mix, becomes imbalanced and there's not enough oxygen in the water and the fish and the shrimp and just anything in the water begins to beach itself for just a few hours. And as a kid, I got to where I could uh, tell when it was going to happen. And, and the wind would blow east and the water would be completely still. It looked like uh, a mirror. It was just completely like glass. The water was so still. And if you took your hand and, and you just slapped the water with your open hand, the water would fizz up. And then we would know that evening there could be a jubilee. And so we would go down late at night, early in the morning sometimes, to uh, the bay, and, and then you would get there and you'd have um, your, your, your light, uh, which was a propane uh, light, and, and you'd have that there and you'd have a, a gig, which was like a broom handle with a long, it looked like a long nail uh, in it. it. Might it be uh, six, eight, ten inches long, and you could take the, the light and, and shine it down in the water and you could see the flounder and you could gig the flounder or the a crab, and, and we would use sometimes use our nets. But you could get an entire freezer full of uh, the, the the small crab and and all just in uh, a half an hour, maybe you know maybe less. And my school teachers at the time they would say, you know, if there's a jubilee, you got to call us. And it was a, a fun experience. Uh, people would honk their horns on the way down to the bay, and they would. Uh, People would yell out, Jubilee, Jubilee, and people would come out of their homes happy to be able to go down there and, and get a, uh, just all the seafood that you would want. And you'd tie off like a, um, a bucket or, or something to you, and, and you would just fill it up as fast as you could, and uh, might, might be even an ice chest or whatever, and you'd tie it off to your, to your waist and, and fill up that in, in a hurry. And it's one of my favorite memories is, of being a kid. Went to a a school there, Daphne Elementary School, and uh, even then they didn't have air conditioning, but they had pecan groves behind the tree, behind the uh, school, and they would shake the trees, and then all the kids would pick up the, the pecans, and we would sell the pecans to be able to uh, have enough money to get uh, window units for the, the school, which was a great um, moment <laughs> when we finally got at least some air conditioning in those uh, old um, buildings that we had there for the school. Great memories. And during that time when I was in elementary school, I got to work in the snack bar, which was uh, a little metal shed, wooden metal shed, and, and we would sell uh, chips and we would sell drinks and um, learn to be entrepreneurial pretty early on in life. And just great memories. Then around the seventh grade, we moved across the bay from Spanish Fort, and Daphne over to Mobile. And I, I lived there until my, they finished up my sophomore year in high school. And it was in Mobile that I got my first job. Um, I was uh, 14 years old the summer I got my first job working at the Bel Air Mall, and I was uh, working in maintenance. 
and, and you get there at six o'clock in the morning and you'd work uh, all day in that hot summer uh, heat, the humid, the humid, the humidity of uh, Mobile. And uh, I was happy to get that 3.35 an hour. And I'm, I'm really, I am thankful uh, for that time. Dad being a, a school teacher and, and all, you know, we just didn't have a lot of extra money. And so being able to work like that was um, a real sense of freedom. And so I began working pretty young, uh, played football. And uh, dad being a football coach, um, you know, I, I uh, was around it uh, quite a bit and kind of grew into it and uh, was a pretty good high school football player. In our sophomore, my sophomore year, we won the uh, conference championship and, and uh, just you know, a lot of great experiences. But um, at the end of my sophomore year, my parents decided to move to St. Louis because dad had a ministry opportunity there and it was just a better opportunity for our family. So we moved to St. Louis from Mobile. And it was a very different world uh, for me to, to move from uh, Mobile to St. Louis and to start a new life there. We lived in Bridgeton, Bridgeton and then, over, uh, then we moved over to Overland. And I graduated from high school in, in St. Louis. And after uh, graduating from, from high school, I moved on to college. And I attended Harding University, which is located in central Arkansas, which is the same school my parents had gone to, which was... Uh, kind of a neat connection. My brother had uh, already gone there by the time I was there. I graduated from high school in 1991, went to Harding uh, to play football uh, the fall of 1991. Um, (laughs) Was a good high school football player and I got to college and realized I was a good high school football player. And so I played for two years, got my letter and then uh, moved on uh, to other things. And it was a huge deal at the time. Looking back on it, um, it was a great learning experience, but um, it just wasn't my area of passion anymore, and I really wasn't that good. And so I moved on, and that was really when I had a very different experience at, at, at the, going to college because uh, all of a sudden you, you realize there was a lot more than just going to uh, playing football and going to class, and that opened up a lot of opportunities for me to develop as a leader, I had always been expected to be a leader, and I'd always uh, felt comfortable with that, but it wasn't until college that I began to see the real impact that you could make in other people's lives by um, being willing to serve as a leader. And so, um, you know, I'd been on uh, student council and captain of the different teams and president of the student body and stuff like that in high school, but in college, that's when it really began to to click that it wasn't just a, a title, it was an opportunity that you could really open a lot of doors for people if you were in a position of leadership. And I really did view it as a, um, as a, as a matter of service, that you could serve people through that. So graduated from high school, excuse me, graduated from, from college in 1995 and then stayed on. A lot of stories that I'm not telling right now, and I'll get to those later in our time, but, um, you know, in, in future episodes. But then graduated from um, from, with a master's degree in 1997 from Harding, uh, and Harding was a great place for me. Uh, it's a uh, it's a school that it really knows who they are, and and they uh, are, are a conservative place that um, you know they they try to live um, they live out what they believe, and it was a place for me that I will forever be indebted to. 
very authentic uh, people. And so I uh, began working at Harding after I graduated and was the graduate assistant to the president of the university. And then in 1999, we left Harding, my wife and I. I met her while I was a uh, student body president, and we were on a service um, project, a service trip, a mission kind of effort um, to, to work to clean up the uh, floods in, in Albany, Georgia, and we became friends. And it was a unique thing because we really became friends and, and then uh, later realized that um, there was more to it than just friendship. And uh, married in, in 1997, and then um, in 1999 we moved to Chattanooga, Tennessee, where I wanted to uh, work in ministry, and we did, with a great church that was um, a place that was really growing and vibrant. But um, it was a tough time. Of the church was growing a lot. Um, I, I was really wrestling with who I wanted to be and just was uh, overwhelmed in, in a lot of different ways. And in 2004, just hit a wall in life and then was trying to figure out, what do I do now? And so we decided with our two young children, I have two daughters, they uh, first her name is Annalise. She is in college now. And the second, her name was Arden. And she's finishing up her junior year of high school right now. And so we moved uh, from Tennessee, which is such a beautiful area. If you've not been to Chattanooga, that's one of the just beautiful places in the world. And so we moved from there to California, where I had been accepted into the Strauss Institute for Dispute Resolution at the Pepperdine School of Law. And if you've ever been to Pepperdine, University. It's uh, located in Malibu, which is just, again, one of the most beautiful places on the planet. And I could not believe that I was able to go to school there and, and was so thankful and took out every loan that I could possibly get, had uh, several jobs at the time and still uh, have had a lot of debt to pay off for a long time. But I was thankful for the chance to go there. And so I, I got a master's degree in dispute resolution from the Strauss Institute uh, there at the School of Law. And then after I uh, finished that degree uh, in 2005, I was given an opportunity to join um, that, that program, the, the Strauss Institute, as an assistant director and as an adjunct professor. And I taught there uh, for a short time and then uh, was finishing up my um, coursework for a doctorate in organizational leadership from Pepperdine in, in a different um, program that, that was in the Graduate School of Education and Psychology. And so uh, finished up the coursework and then in 2006 uh, was just really looking at what to do next. And uh, if we were going to stay at Pepperdine, it was going to uh, be a significant commitment to stay there and, and money was tight and just all the different things. And we were looking at, well, what do we really want to do? So we began looking across the country at places that we thought had a lot of promise for the future. And in 2006, the summer of 2006, we moved to Edmond, Oklahoma, which is uh, what most people would consider a suburb of Oklahoma City, and started our life there. I was a professor at a small university, Oklahoma Christian University, while I was completing my uh, dissertation and uh, the comprehensive exam and did that. Uh, for a couple of years in, uh, you know, is one of those places that you just learned a lot at that time of life and uh, was given an opportunity to work as an executive at, at uh, Oklahoma Christian, which they, they call OC, 
and really got to work closely with the president there, a man named Mike O'Neill, who I enjoyed working with. And um, the, the role that I had was vice president and then advisor to the president. And then I uh, was able to teach in the business program there for those years. And then late 2009, a friend of mine named Frank Smith, who's now my uh, business partner, in, in late 2009, we uh, were having a breakfast and talking about life and all these different things. And I was sharing with him a dream of creating a company. And I didn't know at the time, but he uh, was uh, a part of a group that was looking to invest in some uh, diverse areas and, and <laughs> he was looking for something to invest in. And so I said, you know, I'm really thinking about this leadership uh, company. You know, what, what if this could be done? And I, I really didn't want to start a leadership company, but I wanted to work in the field of leadership and I couldn't find a place to, uh, to work like that. Those jobs didn't seem to exist. And so uh, we were having a great conversation and then began to realize, hey, this is, um, this is beginning to look more like a proposal of this is what the company could look like, this is what we think we could do. And uh, we formalized that, uh, presented the, the, uh, the concept, and um, then we started the company together in 2009. And that has been an amazing ride. Very thankful uh, for, for Frank and, and his friendship and, and wisdom. He's a lot like a, a brother to me. And uh, very grateful. I, I would say now in 2020, uh, after having worked side by side for all this time, I, I feel like my trust in him and belief in him has only grown over the time. And uh, I trusted him to, to begin with and, and now to see where that is. And so uh, over the years through Strata, we've began working with companies and individuals uh, from all across the country in the United States and then also in a number of uh, um, international locations, and so began to travel a lot. And I had traveled um, in the past. I would spend my summers working in Russia while I was in high in college teaching English. And when I was in high school, my dad would take us to Guyana, South America, to do uh, mission work and, and uh, humanitarian aid uh, there. And so I uh, just continued on this theme of um, how do you serve people? And how do you help them uh, succeed and thrive? And, and leadership was a big part of that. And so through Strata, now we had a platform to be able to influence schools and companies and nonprofits. And as we were going along, I had uh, done some executive coaching and training for that in uh, my doctoral program. And then I had done some coaching, but it was not something that I was really that passionate about, mostly because I, I couldn't figure out how that would ever work. You know, how would you start a company that could do um, coaching? So we did a lot of training, we did a lot of consulting, did a lot of assessments, um, cultural analyses. And then we, we just kept having that push of, well, what if we could do some coaching? And so in, in some ways, reluctantly, uh, I said, well, you know, let, let's, uh, let's try to uh, push that some more, and then that really opened up. And then I was still a bit resistant to it, thinking, well, you know, this is maybe this is just a fluke. And then it continued to grow. And I would um, say that coaching then really began to um, grow on me. It was something that uh, I wanted to be 
a good student of. I wanted to be great at that craft. And it was just, um, and it still am. I, I'm just passionate about the idea of how do you serve people well as an executive coach. And so now, I, I would say uh, conservatively, uh, I've probably done, uh, I would guess, 3,000 um, coaching sessions uh, over the years. And um, I'm grateful for every one of them. Uh, I, I'm thankful for the time that I get to spend with people, learning about who they are, where they want to go, uh, helping them identify their goals, uh, addressing some of the obstacles, being able to put together action plans with, with people. I, I just find that that is something that um, brings me joy when you can help have a meaningful conversation with someone. And in those coaching sessions, I, I really try to take on the, um, the coaching style that um, the client I'm working with needs at the time. And I find that you can't do that in a one-dimensional way. You have to adjust your style to what they need. And so sometimes you're a sparring partner. Sometimes you really are an encourager. At other times, you're trying to provoke something. But you can do all those things and have a great deal of respect and honor for someone else. But it dawned on me as a coach... That's a high honor, and it's one that requires a great deal of loyalty. And loyalty sometimes requires saying the thing that you don't want to say. And, and sometimes it requires saying the thing that you don't want to say and they don't want to hear. But if you're going to really help somebody, you have to care about them enough to say the hard things. And so as a coach, uh, I'm always trying to be respectful, and I'm always trying to be um, an encourager, but I find that one of the, the challenges, of coaching, challenges of coaching is that you sometimes um, have to play a part that you would prefer not to play. And so for me, I, I make the decision to um, be the boldest person in the room um, when I'm coaching, that I'm trying to think at the best of my ability about the things that might allow someone to open the door in, in their life for, for the success that they want and that I'm really trying to help them get where they want to go. And I just say that because I don't think that you can really coach people well if you don't really care about them deeply. And I don't throw the word uh, love around easily, but I would say that uh, it really requires that you love people to be able to be a part of their lives, that you, you really have to determine that you're going to, um, you're going to help. You're, you're going you're gonna, to um, remove the filter that would be the one that would be self-preservation, that you're trying to do the best that you can to be as authentic as possible. And, and some days you, you do better than others, and some days you wish you could get back. But at the heart of it all, if you care about people and, and you want to help them have better lives, I find that coaching is a way to get that done. I feel like I have been witness to amazing moments in people's lives. And that's the thing about leadership is that often the most amazing things that you will see are seen by just a few people. I, I love to hike and uh, I hike a lot. I'm um, not <laughs> necessarily a great hiker. I'm not uh, all that fast or anything like that, but I love being uh, on the trails. 
and uh, has spent a lot of time on trails. And the thing about hiking that is tough is that a lot of times I'm hiking, I'm, I'm a solo hiker because of you know, just time constraints and everything else. And so I've seen these amazing places. And you, you see these amazing places, and then you find yourself seeing this unbelievable sight, and you, uh, you're alone. You, you wish you could share it with somebody. You can take a picture of it on your phone, and you share it with your, your wife and your kids, but um, you, you are alone. And a lot of leadership is alone. And I hate that. I, I wish it were not the case, but there are a lot of vistas that you will see as a leader that you're going to see alone. And then you might go back down in the hill and, and bring them back up. But even then, it's a little bit different because they are experiencing it for the first time, but you are uh, helping them experience it. And so uh, as a leadership coach, um, I like to be... Um, the, the person that in some ways is it's like, it's like you don't even exist. And I mean that in a positive way, but that you are there as a witness to people having these incredible moments in their lives. And it's, um, it's a great honor. And so I think I've seen some amazing things that I can't wait to share with you over time through these podcasts and, and introduce you to some amazing people. And so when we began working on the guest list of all the people that we would be inviting to be a part of this, I thought, hey, this is going to be tough trying to come up with enough names of people who would be a part of the show. And what I found is not that at all. What I found is that there are an amazing number of people out there who are doing things in their fields that are inspirational, that you, that you may never know their name. And so I, I've wrestled with that because I thought, well, for the podcast, don't we need to get people who are recognizable? Don't we need to get people who, you know, when people see their names on the podcast, they'll definitely want to listen. And I, we'll have some of that. We'll have people who, uh, you already know their names, and, and they're people that um, are, are our household names. But, but what I found is that um, some of the best stories are, um, in the, the, are trapped in some ways in the head's in the hearts of people that you may never get to know unless, unless you're willing to search for it, to listen, to um, not just choose the names of the people that you know. And, and I'll make that promise to you. Uh, we will not bring people onto this show um, that are not the kind of people that, that I personally would want to hear from, that, they're not, that these are the kind of people that... Um, if they were in town, you'd want to go and get a cup of coffee with them and have lunch with them or whatever. Uh, this is, um, it's a promise to you. We're not going to ever have someone on this show that isn't someone that I believe is making a difference. And, and it's, a, it's a category. I, I was thinking about, okay, who would we have on the show? And it was, um, one, they're all leaders. But then there are different categories. Are they an executive leader? Are they a world changer? Are they an innovator or, you know, who are they? And I, and I promise you that we will not bring anybody on this podcast that I don't believe is making a profound difference. But sometimes the difference people make is small and that does not make it um, unimportant. And so I'm really looking forward to our time. I, um, I, I feel that way because I know the stories that are going to be told. And then I, uh, I'm looking forward to hearing the stories that maybe I haven't even heard yet, but that I know that are, that are there because everybody has a story. And so I would imagine if you and I sat down right now 
And uh, let's say we were in a coaching session or maybe we were just uh, talking. And, and I said, okay, um, you know, tell me about uh, your goals. And it's funny because people sometimes will say, you know, do I need an executive coach? And, and the truth is nobody really needs an executive coach. And there are a lot of people who are very successful without coaches. At the same time, I would say that a coach helps accelerate your, your progress. They help amplify your impact. And I'm not even saying that just as a marketing thing. I'm just saying that's what it does because it allows you to uh, talk through what you really want to get done before you do it, which, which um, is typically helpful for people. But when people say, do you need a coach? I would say, well, no, you don't have to have a coach. But, um, but I would say that the people who uh, use uh, coaches who are qualified and, and um, know, what they're, know what they're doing, or they, they care deeply about their, their craft, that they, um, they help you get where you want to go faster. But when people say that, I'll say, okay, well, here's a couple of things. Number one, could you tell me right now what your goals are? So if I said to you right now, tell me what are some of your goals are, where, where are you wanting to go? And when I'm listening to people talk about goals, I'm listening to two things. One, one type of goal is called a terminal goal. That's a specific moment in time. It's a specific achievement. Maybe it's um, graduating from high school. Maybe it's finishing a, a marathon. Maybe it's, you know, whatever it may be. But it's a specific moment in time. That's a terminal goal. And then a continual goal is a state of being. This is um, something like I'm going to be a lifelong learner. I'm going to be healthy. I'm going to do, you know, whatever. But one is a state of being and the other one is a specific moment in time. And I'm typically listening more for the continual goals. It's, it's not that the terminal goals don't matter, but you could be a um, college graduate and not be a lifelong learner. I'm looking for people who are lifelong learners who might also graduate from college. Now, I don't care if people go to college or not, but I do care if they're lifelong learners. And I'm not saying that college isn't important, but I am saying that there are a lot of people who did not get the chance to do that or chose not to do that who also find their way because they're lifelong learners. And so when, when I'm thinking about um, people and I'm thinking about their goals, I'm listening really carefully because most people aren't asked questions like that in the, in the normal course of things. So if I said to you, what are your goals? and they don't come instantly to mind, you don't know what they are, well, I would say that um, working with a coach would probably be helpful to you because they help you identify what the goals are. But if you said, I do know my goals, and you told me what your goals were, and then I said, okay, are you reaching those goals? And you said, I'm, I'm, I'm not. Then I would say, well, a coach would probably be helpful to you because if you don't know what your goals are, a coach is uh, probably going to be of assistance. If you would say, I know what my goals are, but I don't know how to get there, I feel stuck. Well, having somebody else think about that with you might be really helpful. And so that's what I, uh, that's what I do. And because of that, um, we get to sit down and talk about the things, the things that are really important. So if you said, this is my goal, and I said, uh, you know, thank you for sharing that. And I said, well, tell me, tell me more. Tell me what's behind that. Why, why is that your goal? And then we started going through your obstacles because, you know, what I find the, the, the greatest obstacle for most people, the greatest single obstacle standing in the, in the way of success for most people is the mindset that they have adopted about themselves. And so 
I have found that if you want to change what someone does, you have to challenge what they believe because our actions are always connected to our beliefs. And so if, if I said, okay, what's keeping you from succeeding? A lot of times it's in your own head. Let me say it differently. It's always, <laughs> at least at some level, in your own head. And so I would be looking at, okay, uh, what are the stories you began believing about yourself? And, and people will say, well, yeah, but you know how leaders are, and a lot of them have, have huge egos and whatever. And I know that that's the case with some people. But, but I would argue that most leaders, a big ego is not really what they're up against. That's not really what I've experienced. I would say that the biggest challenge for, for leaders on that kind of front is not that they have this huge ego. The, the issue is the more you know about what you should be doing as a leader, the, the less uh, confident uh, you become often. And, and I would say that for many leaders, the, the real challenge for them is not that they have too big of an ego. The, the real issue for them is that uh, over time, they um, become acutely aware of what they're not doing well, and it be- begins to build up. And they start doubting themselves. Some people would call it an imposter syndrome. And so I find that if you began telling me your story, your story will tell me about where you get to go in life. And I find that people will often believe something about themselves that is not true and is negative. They began to view themselves in one way early in life and and it stuck. So through this time, this podcast's, I promise you we're going to bring people here who have a story to tell, number one. Uh, number two, um, I'm going to do my best as a, as a uh, host to respectfully um, bring out uh, in, in our uh, guests the, the stories that have shaped who they are. And sometimes those stories are, um, they're, they're, they're they make sense. They're clean and, and, and they're all uh, they're tidy and they all make sense. But, but a lot of times they're not. A lot of times what you find is that the path that uh, someone had to travel on their way to success was one that was filled with a great deal of, uh, of pain, uh, challenges, a time that they might have felt when they were going through it was wasted. A matter of fact, most people that I know who are very successful leaders have uh, stories in their lives that if they could uh, go back and and have a time machine, they would change. They would change it, e- even if it meant that they would not be as successful, because of the pain that they had to endure to get where they are now. And so um, we're going to get to those stories. We're, we're going to talk about those things, the things that are that important. And for you, I would ask for you to uh, anticipate. That when we when you're going to be listening to the Strata Leadership podcast, that um, that this, this is a time where you can just relax and and, and listen, and uh, specifically that um, you're listening to learn. That I have no idea what we're going to be learning. You might learn something different than what I learned, but that we are listening with the intent of what can I gain from this. One of the reasons why I like working with leaders is when you're working with great leaders, they are not threatened by the success of other people. They are not threatened by another leader, matter of fact, that they enjoy being around leaders. And I would just say to you, if you will listen to understand and listen to learn and take what you can take, 
because I think you can learn from good examples or bad examples. There are a number of people that I know who are effective leaders because they grew up in a situation or they worked in a situation where it was so dysfunctional that they decided, well, I'm just going to do the opposite of what I have experienced and maybe that will work. And they found that it did. And so positive or negative, that, that the tone, the mindset that we bring into this is a growth mindset in which we are listening to understand and that we are open to learning. And if that's what you're interested in, that's what we're trying to create. And I would love for you to be a part of that community. I'd love for you to be a part of this where we can uh, learn together, share stories that um, inspire us, that make us more courageous, that make us more compassionate. And if that's what you want, that's what we're wanting to create. And so we're looking forward to uh, launching this uh, new program. And this podcast is something that is a, a labor of love. And um, we're honored to have you be a part of that community. So if you're an early adopter and you've just uh, you decided to be a part of, of this with us from the beginning, thank you very much. And we would ask that you help us grow this. We are committed to learning how to do this as well as uh, we can and uh, look forward to hearing from you, getting your feedback, getting your suggestions, and, and getting from you e even stories that we might be able to share, uh, things that we might be able to explore uh, together, ideas and concepts that are important to you. So thank you for being a part of this uh, very first podcast, and we look forward to what is to come. Have a great day.